Hi, I'm Matt Ward, and welcome to episode six of the Running Industry Podcast. I now know a huge amount about caffeine, and it's it's such an interesting chemical because you can have some people, well, for 10% of people, when they use it, they actually get slower. Yes, this week we're talking to a prominent figure in the industry, Mr. David Hellard. I can tell you that this podcast is at times highly amusing and underlines David's great character and appeal, especially to those who listen to him on the Bad Boy Running podcast. But don't be fooled, underneath that laid-back demeanour is a steely businessman who has cannily built a great little brand that is growing by the day. Caffeine Bullet, a caffeine-based chew for athletes and everyday people who want that extra little kickstart. David talks us through how he built the brand to the point where it's one of the most popular brands on Amazon. David also talks to us about marketing products, the ups and downs of a brand, and how if you want to deal with the big retailers, it's difficult territory. I think we're now the biggest seller on Amazon outside of CIS. We're not in many shops. We're not on many websites. You know, I've come into this as a, as a guy who's not got huge funding or anything. If Sainsbury's had said, come on board, we want to roll you out, we just wouldn't have been able to do it. So I hope you enjoy the next 40 minutes or so as we discover a little bit more about the Caffeine Bullet brand. It'll be intermingled with a few amusing stories from David's varied life experiences. And remember, stay tuned to the end for a great offer for our listeners on how you can get some extra discount on Caffeine Bullet products. For now, though, settle in, tune into the Running Industry Podcast with me, Matt Ward, as we talk to David Hellard. So on today's Running Industry Podcast, I have David Hellard. Thanks very much for joining me today, David. No problem. My pleasure. Now, normally, I get the guests on the Running Industry Podcast to introduce themselves. But today, I'm going to try and do it myself, as the list is so vast as to what you have done. I must admit, you're one of the biggest characters in the UK running scene, but you're also a pretty handy runner a 244 marathon PB for starters. Um, I was doing a little research last night and I found this, and this is, I quote, David is an ultra runner, adventurer, partaker of outlandish challenges, and one of the presenters of the Bad Boy Running podcast. He's taken part in marathons across the globe from Sierra Leone to Afghanistan, winning races from Myanmar to Somaliland. And in 2016, he stepped up to ultra running, finishing first Brit at the Marathon de Sable known as the toughest foot race on earth, and has undertaken challenges including London Marathon, when he was leading for 400 metres, racing with the England Beer Mile team, and setting a record for the Underground Marathon in tube stations to raise money for Street Child, receiving a Point of Light award from the Prime Minister along the way. You also proposed to your fiancé at the end of the Comrades Marathon. You've beaten Mo Farah twice. You took part in Ultimate Hell Week on the BBC, You taught Howard Marks how to play poker. (laughs) I mean, the list, it just goes on. You're such a busy man too, what with the Bad Boy Running podcast, uh, now on episode 230. And you work at the National Running Show, hosting the Ultra Stage. 
I'm sure we'll touch on some of this over the course of the podcast, but specifically today, we're going to talk about your nutrition brand, Caffeine Bullet. Firstly, David, how are you and what have you been up to? <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Sorry for the listener to have to put you through all of that. I've actually just come back from, from Italy, which was incredible. It's just empty streets and, and no queues for anything. But like everyone, life's a bit up and down at the moment and a bit fearful for winter. But um, yeah, very much a lot of things to be happy about. Yeah. And coronavirus, lockdown, trying to get through that, um, whether you're a runner or whether you're not a runner. Um, it's been a bit of a challenge. But how was it for you? Yeah, I guess the same in some ways. Very much bittersweet where some friends have been affected. Uh, we were meant to be getting married. So that was, that was a bit poo. We're now going to be one of those couples where our engagement is going to be longer than the time we were before, which didn't want to be that guy. But, um, you know, my, my family's safe. We moved down to Briggsy, my uh, fiance's mum's house, and she's just mega ace. So that was great. Um, just to, having time with family and having a garden. Um, but I've been injured throughout that period as well. So oh, no. I'd get to times when Briggsy was out cycling and running, or I'd just wake up on a Saturday and think, what am I going to do today? Am I just going to sit at my screen again? Um, personally, it's been a bit up and down. Business absolutely died in April. What should be our busiest time with all the races cancelled? People just stopped buying caffeine, really. But since then, we've managed to tap into people who aren't necessarily as sporty. And now, yeah, it's, it's, it's going crazy, really. Probably four or five times busier than we were this time last year. And um, just really want things to get back to normal. Yeah, whatever that normal is going to be, it's going to be very interesting, isn't it? Mm. Over the next few months and getting into 2021. And let's hope we can get across that winter with things, you know, under control, as it were. And uh, hopefully, let's let's hope we can emerge from it into 2021. Which part of the country are you in, David, out of interest? I'm based in London. So uh, just South London, Brixton. But we, um, we're we out in, outside Croydon for, for lockdown. So you were in the pressure cooker, as it were, and uh, with everybody else. But not too good a time of it with an injury, which is just when you don't want one, when everybody was out there in the uh, 25 degree temperatures for three months or whatever it was. Mm. Hey, let's dive into Caffeine Bullet then. Caffeine Bullet seems to have had a very particular identity. Yeah. I think it's fair to say that the sports energy and the supplement market is pretty cluttered and very competitive. Um, whether it's the likes of Lucasade Sport, Red Bull on one side, all the way over to something like Athletic Greens on the other, and everything in between from SIS, Cliff Bar, High Five Talk, Morton, Gatorade. I suppose initially, my first question is what made you want to start a brand in that um, kind of nutrition supplement area? It's strange because all those brands, you know, amazing brands, and, and you know, I'm actually sponsored by Cliff by myself. Um, a lot of the products they make are, are either gels, which are just weird, um, or they're, they're they're all about fueling to stop yourself getting slower. Whereas actually, since I started running, caffeine seems to be the the one product that you can use that can transform your running. And I, I'd always used. Um, Pro Plus capsules that I, I cut out and it was so fiddly and not particularly pleasant. And I guess my marketing story is that when I was running the, the Marathon de Sabs, I, I dropped my caffeine tablet in the in the desert. Um, it's not strictly true, although mainly true. But Sounds I, good though. I, yeah, exactly. It's a lovely story. and um, But I just wanted a, a nicer way and a more convenient way to take caffeine like large doses very quickly when I raced and kind of before I raced and didn't find anything out there. So I've, I've got a bit of a history with just 
cracking on with ideas. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd also recently left my previous startup called zipkeep.com and just thought, well, why don't I actually do something that I've got a huge passion for and decided to make my own? Yeah. And caffeine is an area, obviously it doesn't suit everyone, does it? it you know, mm. let's kind of qualify that. Caffeine can affect people in very different ways, you know, mm. to the point where some people has some people have one cup of coffee and it's, you know, it's way too much and all the way through to an I know people who are like on their sixth and seventh a day, you know, and you're just like, How do they sleep at night? Mm. You obviously did a bit more research in that, didn't you? You didn't kind of go, I know, I'll just load in a whole espresso in every single one of these and just see if it works. You've obviously done a bit of background work. <laughs> well <laughs> Or did you not? <laughs> Hit and miss. It's a learning process, shall we say? Yeah. yeah, I mean, as you say, I now know a huge amount about caffeine and it's it's such an interesting chemical because, well, for 10% of people, when they use it, they actually get slower. So when you look at all of the the results of scientific studies, and, and even when you look at the recommended amounts that the government say that you should have a day, the, the kind of maximum amount, these are all averages based on 10% of people that don't really respond to caffeine and actually should never have caffeine at any point in their life. It, it does them no good. Right. You've got 40% of people where it, it helps them above the placebo effect, but it, it's not quite as significant as the 50% where it is essentially rocket fuel. But even within... The trouble with the sports science is that it's just very hard to do tests for different products and different amounts with the, with a large enough scale and looking at all the different variables. And so even now, it, it's the, the general basis is that it's between three and six milligrams per kilo that you weigh of caffeine as your optimal dose, which is just an insane amount of caffeine. That sounds like a lot. Yeah. Well, if you think at the next espresso is 50 to 70 milligrams, a Red Bull 70, 80. And, you know, me as a 70 kilogram runner, that means I'm meant to be having five espressos to get my optimal dose. And, and actually some of the studies I've looked at, it looks like five milligrams is the, the very optimal dose. And that's just so much to be taking. Clearly, if you're using gels, which often only have 20, 30 milligrams of caffeine. So if you want to get that absolute kick within five minutes, it, it was very hard to come up with something that would actually deliver that, especially when you factor in that caffeine is a disgusting tasting chemical um we like it in coffee we you know we like it in energy drinks where there's a huge amount of sugar but trying to find something that that delivered that that was pleasant and um and really think about the dosage we came up with 100 milligrams partly because it's an around number but it was a little bit of a balance of what are the confines of flavor like what are the limits on that and also how can we do a dose that's not going to be dangerous to some people my biggest fear is that children or people to think they're sweets so we've left a you know a tiny hint of um i call it a tiny hint of performance in there but it's that you know they are pretty tasty now but you're aware that it, it is a, a sports product and so there's a balance between getting something that was strong enough but also that then gave you a bit of flexibility where when i was doing comrades for example i wanted to have more than one caffeine hit it's a long race and so 100 actually seemed to make sense where it was enough of a kick for everyone to take but also um, it wasn't too strong a hit that if you were small and light that you couldn't use it multiple times in longer races mm. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting, isn't it? And obviously getting that balance is, is so, so important. 
I just want to rewind a little bit if I can. Mm. When it was launched, um, talk us through that process of when you start a brand. Talk us a bit through that process and also about the initial reaction from runners and consumers. Yeah, it's that step where you take it from conception to actually making a product. And, and with something like caffeine as well, you know, it is a drug. And so you've also got that added complexity and also moral obligation to make sure everything's safe. I knew I wanted to, to make a product like this. So I did a Kickstarter. Once that was running and we got some money in, suddenly you're committed. I had a, I had the idea of a chew because when you chew a lot of the chemicals are then absorbed in your mouth and your tongue. And so it just means that you get a far faster kick than if you swallow it because it, it bypasses your stomach. So that, that was the, the idea that I had going into the Kickstarter. Yeah. And then once it raised the money, I then thought, right, I literally know nothing about manufacturing. And, and as uh, busy, my, my missus will, uh, will confirm my, my kicking skills aren't, aren't the greatest. And so I just went on LinkedIn and found someone who was a food scientist, messaged them and said, hey, I'm doing this. Uh, I'd see you'd made these things. And, and I think she'd made caffeine sweets in the past for service stations. And I said, do you want to help me out with this? Uh, do you want to get on board? And then it was a case of, under her advice, I was I, I bought a reasonable amount of cooking equipment, and then was just making batches in my my kitchen where I'd be pouring in glucose, been weighing things out, all these other kind of chemicals I'd never heard of, trying them out just to, just to make something that actually made sense. Wow! And um, real Willy Wonka kind of stuff going on there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, mentioned about the flavour that that was our biggest problem is that caffeine is extremely bitter, but also a lot of flavourings actually in sweets they dissipate very quickly. So it can taste the first batches. I think the first one we made was strawberry. And then I tried rhubarb, and they taste really good for about five seconds, and then and people you'd see it in their face, and you'd suddenly have this. Oh, oh, what's going? What's happening here? Oh, I didn't, I didn't agree to this, and that was a long process. So I'd be sending out to friends, and I'd be sending them out to the people who who had backed me in the Kickstarter, but I didn't have a, a big tooling uh, system set up. So I was putting them the little drug bags that people sell weed in because right. they were just just seemed the easiest thing to get in the shop. So people were getting these. You were a dealer. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I was dealing drugs in in drug bags. Yeah, so um, it got to a stage where the, the, the sweets were were actually okay and the balance of the mint wasn't too strong to, to be overpowering. You get this thing called flavor burn. And that's when I approached the sweet factory because I figured I could go to a sports supplements, but actually what I, I, I know the amount I want in there. I just want it to taste really good. Yeah. And, and also, if I could put in there, you've also got that thing where let's say you went to Cliff or to SIS and they are lovely people, but you know, you take them a great idea and there's always that thing in the back of your mind, presumably that, you know, no matter how great and ethical a partner looks, they could always just nick your idea and, mm. and scale it and move it out into the market way quicker and better than you could. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's still a fear of ours now. Yeah, we, we went and we, we just tested and tested and tested and changed the processes, which is the thing I do keep secret. I think I became the pet project of the factory because they were making sweets, which all day, every day, which I was loving because I 
just come back with fistfuls of cola cubes and great but anything you think is an old sweet that's their speciality it was heaven Wow. Um, but we we then had one day where we suddenly changed the process and went, oh, wow, this is great. And, and from then on, we suddenly had something that we could take to market. Presumably then when you've got to that position, you're like, right, okay, now we've got it in our little bags or however they're presented. That process from getting it to reality, as in I've got this product and then, right, then you've got to think about how am I going to get this to market? Mm. That is a whole different hurdle, isn't it? And actually, something that was really interesting is people's perception of what is possible from brands and from products. And so even now, we really struggle because there's there's loads of little changes I'd like to make. But most factories have a machine that does one thing a certain way. People are saying, oh, can you make this? Can you make it vegan? One of our biggest struggles. We just can't do it at the moment. Or Mm. can you change the wrapper? Or can you put them in this kind of packaging? And actually... You're, you're pretty much stuck with the tooling and the the machines that you have unless you change everything. So not only are you confined by money, because if we wanted to do our own packaging, we'd have to spend 100 grand, I think, on a machine, or by the, the system that's already there. Um, but yeah, then getting out to market, it's. It, I think this is going to be a big change in the industry, actually, and it's already happening where you know, COVID has, has forced people to come online more. But also because of as soon as Instagram are, are really allowing brands to sell directly, we've grown up with this ecosystem where we've got some amazing sports shops and we've now got some amazing sports websites and running websites, cycling websites. But actually, it's far easier now for brands to, to have a personal relationship with the, the consumer. And you know, Amazon is essentially a, a level playing field where... It doesn't matter how big your brand and reputation is offline. That's obviously going to help you convert your sales more. But if your product's not as good as someone else's, or if you're not as good at at understanding how their system works, you can suddenly have all these new brands pop up because a brand is essentially just reputation and a product. And so if you've got a new product and it's, it's, you're going to get a good reputation from feedback, then suddenly you can be the, I think we're now the biggest seller on Amazon outside of SIS for, um, for gels and, and chews in the UK. That's incredible. Yeah, we're not in many shops. We're not on many websites. Um, we, we, we're looking to do that now. Um, my whole ethos had been, I really want to, when I speak to retailers, be able to look them in the eye rather than have to look up at them and kind of beg them. Yeah. Um, just because, it, and, and also my fear is, you know, I've come into this as a, as a guy who's not got huge funding or anything. And so, if Tesco's had turned around to us or if Sainsbury's had said, come on board, we want to roll you out, we just wouldn't have been able to do it mm. because they might have taken us on for a month, but our brand wasn't big enough and we didn't have enough money to really support that. And so my whole ethos has been, like, get the product right, build the brand's reputation, and then everything else will fall into place. And And now because of digital marketing it's it's a lot easier to actually get an, an online brand that people in the around the world can see you know walmart approached us to list in the states because of our, our brand's reputation and so small things like that are changing we've we've basically gone to the, the consumer ourselves without using any any partners um to start with and we've, we've grown it that way and the, the hard thing about caffeine is that actually online reputation is based on reviews 
And caffeine doesn't help everyone. And so we know 10% of people that try us will think that we're a fake product. And that's a real challenge as a product. And, and that's the way we're changing now is it used to be that you had to look after your cheerleaders because, and you still do, um, because they're the people that, that grow your brand. But actually, equally, it's about managing the people that, that don't like your brand because they can be far more damaging. That must be quite difficult to manage. Well, it, actually, it's, as you know, any small business, it's, it's just, a, it's just a, a punch in the face every time you get a review that's, that's, that's negative where you think mm. you just don't respond to caffeine, like this is nothing to do with the product. Um, and so now we're, we're having to actually change part of our, our messaging because we're trying to ensure that people understand. It's quite hard. That's, that's, that's trouble. It's hard to educate in when you're marketing, but actually, we need to to try and make sure that people realize that caffeine doesn't help everyone and therefore people it's not going to help. We don't want them buying our products because it's not going to help them. It's not going to help us. It's just going to lead to a sour experience. Just touching on a point you made there, when it comes to scaling the business, obviously, and you talked about the fact that you know, you're know you not a big brand, you're not awash with money and so on. Scaling to go to, let's say, for instance, Sainsbury's or somewhere like that, mm. You've got all, all, all the positives of saying, right, we're going to be in 5,000 stores or whatever it is across, you know, Europe and UK and Europe. But then you've got, okay, number one, you know, can you supply as in they want 25,000 packets next week mm. or whatever? And you're like, okay, we need to, that's one thing to scale up onto that, isn't it? And then secondly, you know, David, you know, as well as I do in the running industry, reputation in the community is, and authenticity is is key, isn't it? That's what that's what mm. really gets you the leverage and what really helps you grow a brand and get that kind of buy-in from the community and from the users, essentially, in, in running specifically anyway. So it must be a bit of a fine line to balance there where you want that kind of authenticity, you want that that community buy-in, and, and but you don't want to essentially overstep the mark and then not be able to satisfy either market, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you're right in that. I'm obsessed with music, but there isn't that connection anymore with bands in the same way. And I think actually products have almost taken over that where when I was at university, everyone knew that I was the guy who loved the long pigs. That was my identity. And I think now with the way that ambassadors work and influencers, products are actually taking over as um, what people attach themselves to as as part of their identity. We're very conscious of that. And we're quite lucky in that we're a product that can transform people's races and, and even their lives you know, broad, in a broad sense. You know, someone's always tired. It, it's, it's a revelation to a lot of people when they discover us. And you're right, nurturing that so that we still have that personal relationship. Um, and, and that's something I'm very aware in, in the marketing we've done. So all of the marketing generally has a big picture of my face on it, smiling. There you go. That's going to sell anything. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe why we have more men buyers than females, uh, but just put them off. But, um, that, that's not true, by the way. Uh, but um, yeah, because I, I've, while I've wanted to make sure that the brand comes across as, you know, a absolutely cutting edge brand based on science and based on um, very good production. I've almost, I've always, always wanted to to let people know that hey, this is me. I'm a runner. Um, hopefully, I'm a guy who's like you and you like. And um, I want you to join me on this journey. And and you're right. As soon as you 
if you grow very quickly, no one discovers you in that personal way anymore. It's just, here's a brand I've found in Sainsbury's. Yeah. Everything I've ever known about marketing in the last sort of 20 years or so is personality is almost the number one um, element of a brand on its, you know, on its pathway to success, shall I say. You know, whether you like them or not, you know, Apple, some of the biggest brands in, you know, vehicles and, and, and you know, even in the sports world as well, Nike and so they've got this personality, this DNA, mm-hmm. something that latch, people latch onto. And you're absolutely right. It becomes part of their life, doesn't it? And that I'm a fan of Apple. So I'll hoover up every single product Apple have ever made. And I want to have that whole lifestyle of Apple within my world. And that's the personality of the brand, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And everything we do is, is, hey, this is David talking to you. And this is what I'm saying. And, and we try to make sure that our messaging is, is very much an interpersonal connection with someone. Um, that, and that's partly because it is, you know, if people love the product, it really brings a smile to my face. You know, if I, if I see someone who's got new personal best, it's just such a nice feeling. But similarly, if someone doesn't like the product, then it's almost someone saying, I hate you as a person. So it's, yeah, it's, it's hard balance. You need to develop a, a tough skin, I suppose, don't you as well in this, uh, in, in the world of products and brands. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to the Running Industry Podcast with this week's guest, David Hellard, the owner and founder of Caffeine Bullet. I'd just like to take this chance to point you in the direction of our Patreon page. The Running Industry Podcast, like many podcasts out there, is unfunded. So if you want to help us along the way, we'd be really grateful for any support via Patreon. Links are in the show notes and on the website at runningindustrypodcast.com. And remember, keep following us on social media at Run Industry. Um, just talk us a bit through the current product lineup as well. Um, you talked about the Choose. Yeah. Is that the extent or is there, are there other products which we might not know about? Yeah, we've got cheese. So we the first one was mint, and then we launched chocolate orange um, in COVID because it was just so tasty. And the intention, well, the intention of it was partly to have a choice, but also would be more appealing to a broader market, potentially outside of the sport. We don't have any other products, and while we, you know, we've been approached about bringing out energy strips and various other products, um, I don't really want to make something unless I think it's great. And also, I, I just believe that this product is is really good and has the opportunity to to become very big. We're more convenient. We're cheaper. We kick faster. We're smaller. Um, you know, everything about we taste better. Everything about it is better. Like and mm. and while while I don't really want to be a brand the size of Red Bull, which which might sound strange because I, I do think caffeine is a powerful drug and we need to be responsible about who it gets in the hands of. I don't see a reason why we can't be seen as people's preferred choice of of caffeine. Yeah. And when I looked into the brand, what I liked about the ideology behind it as well is, you know, you can imagine it in somebody's glove box, can't you? Who They're not necessarily an athlete. They're not necessarily a triathlete, runner, cyclist. It's that sort of thing where it can be part of somebody's daily routine and actually can be a pick-me-up when they need it. They're safe in the knowledge of not taking too much. They don't have to have a drink. They can chew it whilst they're on a commute. So actually, you touched on the diversification a little bit during lockdown. Do you see that as a kind of future direction for the brand? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's we are we are increasing the the range of of customers we're going after. And and you know, strangely, I think we're number four 
Um, we have been number four on, on Amazon for caffeine pills, even though compared to a caffeine pill, we're, we're far more expensive and, and actually far weaker than some of them. But probably more digestible, like you say, because of the flavoring and, and so on. Yeah. And just nicer. To, uh, do you really want to be popping pills? Um, yeah. I mean, my my big fear, and, and actually in so many people spend hours in queues for coffees that cost them three pounds. Um, and we're just far more convenient. I mean, my, my only fear is that I'd hate to see like a group of 13 year olds sure. chewing on caffeine bullets on the way to school. Cause that's just not, it's just not, what I want the brand to be. Um, actually, and, and, and in some ways almost counterintuitively, I'd, I'd rather people had less caffeine and really use the power of it when they needed it. I think we've become too reliant on it and it's lost it's lost its its effects to actually help us when we're tired. And so and then that's hard to incorporate into messaging. Um but yeah, I I just love the idea of us being a performance product in life. Anytime you're tired and one of my favorite things is just to turn up to a wedding or a stag and then just flood caffeine bullet everywhere and it just it just get crazy um you can have one on, on each plate just as you do at a wedding there you go little little aperitif yeah so this will get you going we almost need to make it like a pims o'clock equivalent of it's at 10 o'clock at night it's a caffeine o'clock um but yeah the the good thing is now that previously you would be limited to your distributors and we were definitely a sports brand because we, we help people in sport more than we probably help people outside of sport um this is the running industry podcast so we're talking running obviously and that's both of our backgrounds is firmly in that mm. just tell us about the benefits of it because i'm just imagining now person x or person y is either doing getting ready for their park run on a saturday morning or they're getting ready for their marathon or they're just out for a jaunt in the hills on a on a weekend how should people think about taking caffeine bullet and is there a certain time when it's like yeah you know you get for instance in a race you get to mile 10 is there a, a template as it were or does it come down to the actual needs and requirements of the particular runner it's it's a little bit of both um the so caffeine Typically, if you so caffeine bullet, for example, will take five minutes to enter the bloodstream. It might take a bit longer with, with the different product, but then actually, it takes a while for it to peak in the bloodstream. So some will take up to forty-five minutes to peak. Ours takes about twenty-five minutes. So therefore, if you're doing a shorter race, I mean, if I was to do a five k, I'd probably take one ten minutes before, and I like to have one halfway through just because it then gives me that extra bit of buzz when I'm starting to tire. But the, the longer the race, basically, I'd, I'd say don't have caffeine. It lasts in your system at a high level for about an hour, 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and I, I've found, and I've not found any tests on this, and I've, I've even spoke to, to Andy Jones in, in XD University about trying to get this tested. But I've always found that as long as I increase my dose in longer races, I, I still get that extra second level kick but if i was to do a marathon i wouldn't have any caffeine at all um until i needed it really and right so so even in you know yourself in in such long races like marathon sable and longer there's a bit of a thing where runners get to mile 90 of a hundred miler and they're like right i need something to really kick me on for the last 10 miles would you or would you not recommend that people take something like a caffeine bullet I mean, I'd, I'd actually give yourself the flexibility to to use it when you need it, because if things are going really well, then when you get to the end, you might as well take it because then you're going to speed up. But actually, I've had a lot of races where they haven't gone quite 
according to plan. And that's when I take the caffeine. Something to be aware of is that caffeine does have a diminishing effect. That's true over time, the course of days, but it also is true within a race. And once you start using it, be aware that if, if it's a very long race, you can crash unless you keep yourself topped up. Some, something like Comrades, I, I actually just had half a chew to start with when I started to tire, knowing that I could then have a whole chew and two chews later. Because we all have, caffeine has a half-life that varies dramatically within our systems. One study I read where someone had a, a half-life of about 200 days. So the, the caffeine, because of her illness, meant that 200 days later, she still had half that amount of caffeine in her system. And so absolutely try it out because for some of you, you will metabolize it very quickly um, and others less so. And that will then determine how frequently and what doses you actually need to, to be taking to, to stay performing at your best. Yeah, really interesting. And something we could get even deeper into if, you know, if we were talking about the whole sports science uh, aspect of it. You talked about the fact that you're number four on Amazon. Mm. Um, would you say you're mainly shipping to UK, Europe, or are you literally hitting all corners of the globe now? Caffeine's quite interesting because it's got different regulations in, in each country. So we've we've partly been limited by the, the rules of import. So we can't export to China, for example. Right. Um, I will say <laughs> I also did export to, to Dubai only to find out that I hadn't done paperwork and the whole lot got got turned away, Oops. which was uh, was quite financially painful. Um, the UK's our biggest market-ish. It's now looking like America's taking over. We're fairly similar in that. Canada's quite big for us. And, and on the continent, we're, we're getting out of there. But actually, we just don't, I, I just don't have the time to really um, dedicate enough marketing into creating local language content and and so we're we've we've, we've certainly got our fan, fans across europe um, i think spain's probably our biggest in mainland europe but given the size of germany and france for running um they should be really big markets for us just haven't had time for it yet sure and i suppose that's an opportunity isn't it as you organically grow and as you get you know the opportunity to maybe focus a bit more time on it um in terms of your products have you got any desires to expand the range beyond choose and have you got any ideas on that you can share with us i've got a few ideas but actually um there's nothing out there that i think we can add value to as a brand a lot of people expand their brands or their, their product range and i think a lot of the time it's because they've not got good enough sales of their existing ones or because they've got to the stage of a of a brand where the brand name is so strong that they can just stamp their logo on something and sell it doesn't sound like you though yeah i mean we're not big enough and we're not i, I haven't got anything to offer in other areas yet so while i wouldn't i'd, I'd say that there are we may do things in the future. It's not going to be our focus in the short term. And, and my worry is that actually um, the more products you have, it just consumes so much time and resources Yeah, and um, mixed messaging. One of the benefits you have is in the way that you've developed the brand, the way that you've actually um, set things up is that you don't have a bunch of shareholders tapping you on the shoulder saying, David, another percentage another 10 percent. come on let's go let's let's fire this up so in a way you, you're you're on a good 
uh, footing, aren't you, to be reactive, mm. but also proactively just keep it at a level that you want to manage it at. Yeah, and, and I'd love to make a vegan version of it. And in fact, I'd like for all of them to be vegan and you know, everything to be sustainable. But I, I've literally gone through two, cell, uh, two factory directories for the whole of Europe and I've not been able to find anywhere that can do it. Um, it's a real struggle. There's, there's one place in Poland that could, but unfortunately, the, the boss doesn't want to deal in caffeine. And uh, everywhere else has, has not worked. We, we've, we've tried tests in Spain. We, we couldn't create something that actually was, was decent. And so I've now got a whiff of a, a new style of chew that we may be able to do vegan so that that's the one thing i'd like to do mainly because the demand's there but also it's, it's the way the world's moving and um yeah why why use animal products when you have to interesting where do you see the brand in let's say five years from now would you want to see it as being your full-time focus i know i've got a lot of other distractions but actually this is my full-time job now so um partly because it well mainly because it's going so well um the podcast is is out of love and actually what i'd love in five years time i'd love to see the brand as as seen as just a real innovator in sports science but also being used in in everyday life and and i've really admired the the rise of uh the energy drink tenzing i think it's it's really nice really nice people and they've done fantastically well and i'd love to see us become the equivalent of that for um for during exercise yeah it's something great to aspire to and i'm sure that with your background with your knowledge with your reputation and the fact that people would generally trust you in something like this i think that you've definitely got a big opportunity with caffeine bullet and sounds like it's going to just develop and develop which is absolutely fantastic just talking a little bit about the rest of the running industry as well david you and i have been in it for a long time we've seen a few changes over the years whether it's trends sectors technology practices in how people run and where they run um what are your views on it at the moment and how it's kind of developing and how it has developed in certainly again in the last six months or so it's changed certainly in the last six months in that i think runners have must open their eyes to to trail and to not racing and and also to ultra running and things like FKTs because mm. as a community a lot of people have been so obsessed and and I've been one of these the five kpbs ten kpbs the marathon and actually now you can still go and do FKTs ultra races are happening because by their nature they tend to be quite dispersed in the number of people and so. I think it's moving away, moving towards that. Everyone's going to have magic shoes soon. Um, not just the Nikes. That's going to be a big change. But everything also is heading towards personalization and, you know, in, in the world, but also in our sport. And I think the big changes will be around nutrition and personalized nutrition. Um, everyone having their own coach, everyone having their own personal training plan. And um, I, I think that's going to really grow and in the future, we're going to see that because we are different as humans in the way we respond to everything and also our needs, that everything's going to tailor for that. Yeah, that's, that's a very, very interesting point. Just recently on the Running Industry Podcast, you know, we had a couple of coaches, female coaches, uh, Max Dempsey and Rach Murphy. And interesting, you know, could you have seen two women, you know, doing what they're doing maybe 10 years ago? Probably not people's eyes have been open that actually do you know what i don't just have to have a head down and just 
bumped from race to race to race every single week. Do you know what? I'm now going to have some personal projects. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to take some advice from a local guide and I'm going to run on this trail or this route that I've always wanted to do. Actually just doing something for you, which surely at the end of the day, that's what running should be, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm hoping that running will become just a bigger and bigger community where um, it isn't just about races. People can really learn to enjoy running um, as a personal endeavour. Amen to that, as they say. And um, it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next few years. We're getting to the back end of our fantastic discussion. I've got a question, actually, before we get onto the final questions. You've beaten Mo Farah twice. Presumably that wasn't recently and definitely wasn't at 5,000 metres on the track. One, one of them was the half was the marathon where he, he bailed at halfway. Oh, uh, yes. So, I mean, um, a lot of people beat him that day, but most, most marathon runners. But he also did a... A kind of PR race around Regent's Park where, um, yeah, I dipped him on the line basically. So he wasn't going hard, but it makes a nice little story. It does. Yeah, it definitely does. If he wants to come and do the beer a thon, I reckon I could take him at that because I can't see him eating four big bits of food and drinking four pints and still being able to race around. You never know. He might be one of those guys. You see them, don't you? Do go to these events and you think, oh, you know, he's he or she's never going to knock back, you know, four pints and poof, there you go, open the gullet and it's gone. And you're like, wow. I mean, if he wants to take me on, I'm, I'm willing to try. There you go. Let's, let's, let's put it on his radar. Little final question on your CV, which caught my eye, should we say? You taught Howard Marks, the notorious Howard Marks, who, um, God rest his soul, is no longer with us. You've taught him how to play poker. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's another story that maybe sounds grander than it is. I, I used to work in television for a number of years and worked in production and TV development. And one of the shows he worked on called Flipside, he was one of the guests, um, really nice guy, actually. And he was also scheduled to be going on Late Night Poker. So this was this was the mid noughties when late night poker was a huge show and yeah and um, yeah so he was going on that the next day so we just had a we we're talking about things and he says so I quickly told told him the rules and some of the strategies and stuff of poker just so it'd be all right when he was going on it so uh, I didn't watch the show so I don't know how well he did on it hopefully he didn't didn't do too badly but yeah there you go let's do some quick fires at the end. What do you see as your greatest achievement? Oh, um, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm not great at things like achievements because anything I achieve, I, I kind of denigrates it a little bit in my eyes. Um, probably no one thing, uh, but hopefully through the podcast and various other means, hopefully we've just made running a lot more fun and kind of broken down some of those barriers that people have towards running ultras. Um, I think the whole industry kind of creates complexity and pressure about it and hopefully we're just telling people running's fun give it a go doesn't work doesn't matter just give it a go again so hopefully that's ended up with more people enjoying running and, and, and running more yeah absolutely totally agree with that and um, bad boy running podcast obviously all the links will be in the show notes later on so you can head on over there if you've never listened to an episode what have you been doing where do you see yourself in five years david apart from sitting in a big office counting your money from caffeine bullet more of the same really but with hopefully with a family so i love london i love running i love presenting and, and thankfully I've, I've been able to start following those passions so fingers crossed in a few years time i'll just be doing more of the same i'd love to do some races like bad water it's probably on the list um yeah that would be great to take take part in at some point 
Yeah. So basically just continually inspiring people and uh, having a smiley face while you're doing it. And finally, tell us something about David Hellard that people wouldn't know. Keep it clean. Yeah, that's what I was worried. Did the police listen to this? Um, when I was younger, I played the voice of a young Harold Shipman for a Bravo TV channel. Wow, that is random. Yeah, yeah, that's quite weird. Please, um, listeners, don't necessarily put Harold Shipman into your Google searches. It might pull up some things that you don't want to see. It's called the Yes No Game Show, so maybe it's on YouTube. Hopefully it's not. David, it's been absolutely, it really has been a pleasure. I think life is about trying to do things that you enjoy and diversifying your experiences in life. You've certainly done that and you've still got many, many years and experiences to come, I'm sure. It's been an inspiration just listening to your your journey on Caffeine Bullet as well. And I'm absolutely sure that's going to continue to grow and develop over the next few years. But I'm really, really grateful, David. Keep doing what you're doing. And thanks ever so much for joining us on the Running Industry Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And um, am I allowed to give a discount code out or anything like that? So is there anything else you want to add, David? <laughs> How about a discount code for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I haven't, I haven't created one, but if people type RIP into our website, they can get a 20% discount. There you go. It's amazing. 20%. I'm going to be spreading the word. That's, that's another reason to listen to the podcast. Absolutely fantastic. Thanks ever so much again, David, and good luck and uh, hopefully see you around. Thanks so much, Matt. It's been brilliant. Well, that was fun. A runner? an entrepreneur and an entertainer and a person with so much energy. A huge thanks to David Hellard, the owner and founder of Caffeine Bullet and good luck to him with the brand over the coming years. If you enjoyed this show, then make sure that you tune into next week's show as we will be talking to Kate McKenzie, the founder of a new trail running startup brand, Harrier. Kate is another guest with great energy, vision and a desire to disrupt the way of marketing and building a brand in 2020. Quick mention again that we'd be grateful of any support via Patreon. Links are in the show notes and on the website at runningindustrypodcast.com. Reviews and ratings also help the podcast in gaining exposure. So it'd be great if you could give us a rating and a review. And of course, make sure that you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, you can follow us on social media via Run Industry. Keep listening, keep spreading the word, and we'll keep making the podcast. I'm Matt Ward, and the Running Industry Podcast is an Amplify production. Thanks for listening, and until next time, goodbye.